I'm going to pray for you, and then we're going to jump in. God, I thank you for Matt. Uh, I thank you for the gift of teaching that you have invested in him for our benefit. And I pray uh, over the next uh, little bit of time that we would maximize that benefit by responding with open hearts. Hmm. We want to hear from you, and so we commit this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good morning. So I don't know about you, but I'm actually glad that the holidays are over. Uh, It's kind of like an anxious time for me, uh, especially around buying a gift for my wife, because that's routinely gone terribly in our marriage so far. Um, And I'm still waiting on the gift now. So Christmas isn't over. Uh, But the good thing about Christmas is, is I get to, um, for the sake of my children, buy a gift for them, a toy for them, right? As I, when I was growing up, it was always Legos, like Legos and GI Joes. And so like, I'm training my kids to like Legos because I want to play with Legos, right? Yeah. <clears throat> and so my son, my parents got my son this uh, Jeep Rubicon thing. It's like crazy awesome, you know? And there, if you don't know, there's two kinds of Lego people. They're the kinds of Lego people that once you put it together, it's always together. You never take it apart, right? Yeah. And then there's other people who are the weirdos who take everything apart and build something else. So I'm the person who keeps it all always together. And Lux is tear it apart, create something new. So we build this. We spent two days building this Jeep. And... and I'm like, okay, Lux, there's, we couldn't build anything better than this Jeep with this set of Legos, right? Like, like let's just keep it together. And I was like, if, if you really want to take it apart, you can come ask me and like, we'll talk about it, right? <laughs> and so 24 hours later, Dad, can I take this thing apart? I need one piece out of it. And I had completely forgot that I told him to ask. And I was just like, no, you can't take that apart. Oh, right. I mean, maybe we could find a different piece somewhere else, you know? And that, like, does something in my soul. Like, there's a part of the world that I don't like that we currently experience is that things break, you know? Like, there's there's this sense of, like, when is this going to happen? You know, not necessarily with this Lego Jeep, but, like, when's my car going to break down, you know? I just... You think about those things sometimes. It's like nothing is nothing is ever like permanently secure here, right? And we just live with this sense of anxiety. So today um, we're gonna we're gonna finish the book of Ruth. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of take a little bit of a step back, but my goal today is for us to consider what rest looks like. And to look at the rest through the lens of these different characters within the story of Ruth. Okay? So, here we go. I'm going to tell you the the rest of the story that we we told last week. And so, I'm going to start with uh, Naomi is uh, talking with her her daughters-in-laws. And this is after she's lost everyone and she's going back to... Uh, Israel, And she says to them, go find rest in a different household, which to me is kind of like a weird way of saying that, right? 
go find rest in this, in this house with a new husband, with a new family, a new house. You, you're not going to find it with me. Go somewhere else. And, and Ruth, Ruth refuses and then, and then continues on with her to Israel. Uh, and they arrive at, at Bethlehem. And, and the, the text says that, that the, the town is like a buzz with like, man, did you see Naomi? And she came back with Ruth, but not her, the rest of her family. That's really weird. So um, <clears throat> they're, they're there for a season, and, and uh, Ruth actually turns and asks, um, hey, do you mind if I go out into the fields and, and get us some food? Uh, and so uh, Ruth, Naomi says, yeah, go, go, my daughter, and go out into the fields. And, and she says, um, She's working through these fields, and, and then eventually she finds herself in Boaz's land. She doesn't know who Boaz is, right? She just happens to find this land. Uh, and then it says that Boaz actually comes in and sees this lady. And he asks his servant, hey, who is, who is that? And the, and the servant says, oh, that's the Moabite that, comes back with, that came back with Naomi. Uh, she's been working pretty hard all day. Um, and so Boaz actually interjects himself into Ruth's uh, work and says, hey, uh, I, I know who you are. I've, I've taken notice of, of who you are and what you're doing. Uh, and so I want you to know that um, you are free to work and glean as much uh, as you want here, right? Uh, come and stay in my field. And he actually says, uh, I want you to, to drink with my servants. So he actually goes above and beyond with Ruth to, uh, uh, to invite her into uh, this land that he's, he owns and she's working in order to sustain her family, right? And so she, she comes with him. She actually um, is, is so... Uh, just taken aback by his generosity. She bows down before him, and then uh, he says this. Uh, Ruth says, why have I found favor in your eyes? Uh, he says this, and Ruth 2.11 says, but Boaz answered, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the day of your husband's death has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, whose wings you have come to take refuge. And so Boaz actually invites Ruth into a meal with her, with his servants. He says, come and eat with us. And she, she eats with them. And it's, it's almost resemblant of a John 6 moment where she eats, but there's leftover. And then she takes it back to Naomi. Um, <clears throat> and Naomi's like, what, what, is, what is this? How, how did you get this much food, right? Not only did you, did you bring back what you gleaned from this land, but you actually brought back your extra lunch? Like, that's, that's just crazy. Uh, and so after that, she actually continues through the whole season of barley harvest, the barley and the wheat harvest of, of going into this man's land and, and getting food for her and her family. And so right after that, at the beginning of chapter 3, Naomi says to Ruth, again, the very same statement that she says in the beginning to Ruth and Orpah, she says, uh, I should find rest for you 
why don't you go to, to Boaz? Uh, because he's a redeemer for our people. And so she, she says, uh, Boaz is, is at his threshing floor because the season of harvest is over. And so he's, he's working what he's got. He's putting away his harvest. Uh, he's at the threshing floor. What I want you to do is, is, is get all nice and pretty and go to Boaz and wait until he's ate his fill and drank his fill and lays down for the night and then go lay at his feet. And this is the response of Boaz. It's three, chapter 3, verse 8. It says, At midnight the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made the last kindness greater than the first that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for I have, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. And so uh, he loads Ruth up again with food, and Ruth returns to Naomi, and Naomi makes another statement about rest. She says, uh, don't worry, my daughter, Uh, this man will not rest until he settled the matter today. And so Boaz uh, leaves that day and goes to the town square. And there he's looking for this other redeemer, the man that's ahead of him um, in line to redeem Naomi's land. And so he approaches this redeemer and then he gathers the elders and says, I want you to come and witness this this interaction that I have with this fellow redeemer. And he says, hey, uh, you know Naomi, she's in a pretty bad situation uh, and she wants to sell her land. Do you want to buy the land? And the Redeemer says, oh, yeah, I'll buy that land. And he says, oh, but he actually pulls out his spade, his trump card, right? He says, uh, well, by the way, if you buy the land, you also have to take the woman that goes with it. Uh, and he says, uh, I can't. No, I don't want to do that. He says it for a very specific reason. He says, I don't want to impair my inheritance. Because I can't be taken on more people, right? And so Boaz is like, yep, I got it. And so they, they get married. Uh, he, he buys the land. He takes uh, Ruth as his wife. And then they have a kid and happy story, right? They're in the line of David, right? Cool story. If that were just the story, I don't think... We would uh, we'd be reading that, right? With scripture, there's always more um, to what's being said, and so this this I want to pull out this concept of rest. What is what is this rest that Naomi is looking for, and where is she trying to find it? And I think that's really applicable for us today because. We're trying to find rest, right? So when Ruth, uh, sorry, when Naomi mentions rest in chapter one, what she's actually meaning is security. 
Go find a house where you can be secure in. Go find a husband for you to be secure in. A life that you can be provided for, right? And so there's a, there's a few context clues if you're reading the, the whole uh, chapter regarding Naomi's part in this story that you can, you can see that Naomi's, Naomi's rest is not coming from an internal peace, but a search for it in the world, right? And so the book of Ruth actually starts out by saying uh, there's, there's a famine in the land and their reaction to the famine is to leave the land of Israel. If you remember back in Deuteronomy 28, there's a promise for the Israelites. If you are obedient, there's going to be this massive blessing in your land, right? And so Naomi and Elimelech and their family say, ah, I'm gonna go try to find that security somewhere else, right? In the land of Moab. And then there's this, the second part where uh, Naomi's children actually intermarry with the Moabites. And that's, that's, not, that's not a very good thing. Actually, Ezra says in chapter nine, this is a little bit further down the line of what's happening with the nation of Israel. Ezra chapter nine says this. It says, after these things had, done, had been done, the officials approached me and said, the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites had not separated themselves from the peoples of the lands of their abomination, from the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians and the Amorites, for they had taken some of their daughters to be their wives for themselves and for their sons. So the holy race had mixed itself with this people of the lands. And in this faithlessness, the hand of the officials and the chief men has been, most, has been foremost. So Ezra is actually calling this faithlessness to go after these other lands, to go after these other peoples, to intermix and to intermarry, right? And so that's not necessarily a judgment against Naomi, but it is something that's a sign of saying this is where they're getting their rest, where they're finding their hope. But then she makes a direct statement about where the Lord is. Chapter one, verse six, she says, the Lord has visited his people and gave food well, how does the Lord visit his people? It means that he had to go somewhere, right? And you can see what's happening inside of Naomi is that she, she thinks that the Lord has left. This famine came, God left us. You can relate to that, right? But that's not true. God, God has left Israel. He's actually right there with them in the midst of these struggles. It's Naomi and her family that's left, Right? And so, and so from these context clues, you can see that Naomi is trying to find this rest and security wherever she can. Where is it available to me? Where can I go and collect these things for myself? Well, how does that compare with the story of Ruth? Ruth is actually giving up her security in favor of serving other people. She's consistently doing that, right? Naomi says to Ruth, go, go find security. And Ruth says, no, 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 I made a commitment to you. I'm going to follow you. And then she, she keeps going above and beyond that, right? She goes to, to work in the fields, to glean from, from Boaz. 
And it says of her in chapter 2, verse 7, it says that uh, the servant is, is telling Boaz who she is. He says, she came to me and said, please let me glean and gather among you the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. And so Naomi, uh, Ruth is giving up her rest in order to provide, in order to, to make it work in this new land, right? And what Boaz says to her next is, you actually need to stay here in my land because if you go into these other fields, you risk being assaulted. And what we're going to find out is that in the book of Judges, the, the nation of Israel has basically become Sodom and Gomorrah. It's like that scenario happening. And so Ruth putting herself out there is actually risking her own life of going out into these fields with these people that she doesn't know. And so she's, she's following someone that she doesn't have to. She's working herself in order to provide for her family and, um, and herself, and then putting herself at risk. But then she's also obedient to what Naomi says. Uh, chapter 3, verse 5 says, uh, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you? This is the third time that you see rest in the book of Ruth. Should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash yourself, therefore, and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down. And he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. And so Ruth is being obedient to what Naomi is saying for her to do, right? And so this is where uh, our understanding of, of how this story is playing out. Because a lot of people see this as like, this is very romantic, right? Uh, Ruth is actually falling in love with Boaz or even some commentators saying that she's trying to seduce Boaz, right? Uh, that only happens if, if you have this picture of Boaz that's like young, strapping man, right? Like a Will Neen. It's like good-looking dude. And he's like, you know, he's got it together. And Ruth is like, yeah, I'll, I'm, I'll run after that. But what if, it, what if it's not, what if Boaz is not Will Neen? What if Boaz is uh, Laser Wolf? Right? You know the part of the story from Fiddler on the Roof where the dad says, hey, I want you to go marry the butcher. And everyone's like, the butcher? Not the butcher. Let her marry the young guy. Right? Boaz is certainly some old grumpy man. I'm not maybe not grumpy, but like he's he's some old dude, right? He's a he's a redeemer. He's he's got money. Right? He's got land that he's working and and the, these things aren't he's not just some young guy that Ruth's like, "Oh yeah, I want to go marry that." He's, Naomi's Naomi's saying, "Go go uh, lay yourself down uh, for us, right? You take on the burden of going and laying down and marrying that guy." It's not that he has to be un, unattractive, right? 
But the, the physical act of what Ruth is doing is laying herself down for her family, right? She's giving herself up for someone else. And so Ruth is an example of her humbling herself before others, humbling herself so that others might prosper. What about Boaz? Boaz actually does not hesitate to give away or share his security. Boaz firstly deals very generously with Ruth. According to the Levitical law in chapter 19, 9 and 10, it says this. It says, when you reap the land, when you reap the harvest of of your land, you are not to reap the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. You must not strip your vineyard bare or gather its fallen grapes. Leave them for the people and the foreigner. I am the Lord, your God. So in order for him to follow the law, all he has to do is leave the section on the outside for everyone else. But what you see with Boaz regarding Ruth is him interjecting himself into their situation. Not just inviting her to to be there for safety, but actually going out of his way to give her more. Ruth chapter 2, 15 and 16 says, When Ruth got up to glean, this is after their interaction, it says that Boaz ordered his young men, even if she gathers among the sheaves, do not insult her. Rather, pull out from some stalks from the bundles and leave them for her to gather. Do not rebuke her. He basically is giving her full reign. Go do what you need to do. Right? He's actually saying, some of what I've already collected, take out and give it to her. And then there's the reaction to this appeal, right? At the threshing floor, he wakes up and he sees this, who who are you? Ruth, I'm your servant. This lady is a Moabite. And I just told you that when uh, Mahalan married her, it's not the best look for him or his family, right? But now you know the end of the story, and, and Boaz is actually going to... It's not like he's, he's like, oh, I can't marry you. You're a Moabite. He's actually like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm in, right? But why does he have that reaction? There's actually a a way for an Israelite to marry a Moabite or anyone else um, from outside. But there's this whole process that's outlined in Deuteronomy 21, and it's it's super weird for us today. Uh, You basically take this woman into your house, shave her head, and then there's this trial run of marriage, and then you can say, ah, it didn't work out or it did, right? But that's not at all what he does, right? What What happens is, is, Boaz notices her. He notices the fruit of what's happening in her life. And you know from New Testament passages about God's looking at our heart to see what's happening in us. And so the text routinely calls Ruth a Moabite. But what Boaz sees is a worthy woman standing before her because of the fruit that she's bearing in her life. And so 
truth is at his feet and he wakes up and he's almost just completely stunned at this appeal, right? He says, three, chapter 3, verse 10, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than your first, for you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. See, Boaz knows Ruth's situation, and Ruth's situation comes with Naomi, too, right? He knows all that she's done. For your mother-in-law, since the death of your husband, and yet he's willing to interject himself into their situation, to risk it. Almost gladly, right? This actually reminds me of when I met Maranatha for the first time. I don't know if you've like seen pictures of Maranatha and I together, but I mean, I would say that I scored like I'm I'm batting way out of my league, right? Like she's a ten and I'm a three and a half, maybe. I don't know. Four on a good day, right? First time I met Maranatha was uh, was at a bar. Calm down, Pharisees. We were we were actually there for a church event, uh, and so. It was dollar slice night. I mean, how do you stay away from that, you know? So we go, and she's sitting there with some other people, and I walk in, and um, the pastor introduced me to this girl named Maranatha. She's wearing this, like, cute hat. And, you know, you know, like, as a single guy, you just notice things, right? You notice the girls that are around you. And, and there's, like, a, I don't know, maybe there's, like, a, a, a gauge of, like, oh, man, she's really cute, and, like, I might have a chance, Right? didn't even register, you know? It's just like, wow, okay, I probably don't even need to know your name, you know? That's going to happen there, right? And it wasn't until much later that I saw these things in Maranatha that were, that were so compelling, the way that she loved other people, the way that she sang, right? It's like, oh my goodness, you know, that girl, that girl loves the Lord, and I want that, right? That's the thing that's attractive to me. And it so screw the scale, you know, like who cares what number I am, what number she is. We love the Lord. Let's go for it. Right. And so I married her. The only answer to that is God. Right. <laughs> and so Boaz does the same exact thing of, of, wow, look at this woman. Look at the heart of this woman. Yeah. If that's what you're doing, I'll do it with you. If you're serving poor widowed women, I'll be, I'll be right there with you. And so Naomi, uh, Ruth's request, uh, and she lays down at her feet, and she says, spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. What does it mean to be a redeemer? Israelite law allows men to be redeemers for certain things especially if you sell your land. And so the, the first thing that happens is, is uh, Boaz buys the land from, from, from Naomi. In Leviticus chapter 25, verse 25 says, if your brother becomes poor and sells part of his property, then his nearest redeemer shall come and redeem what his brother has sold. 
but what's happening here is, is Boaz comes along and, and buys the land. He brings it into his house versus uh, giving it back to his brother because the brother is gone, right? There is no brother. Elimelech's dead. And the second thing he does is, is he actually marries Ruth, right? But he's not the brother of Mahalan, right? He's some distant relative. Uh, so Deuteronomy 25.5 says, If brothers are living together and one of them dies without a son, his widow must not marry outside the family. Her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of her brother-in-law to her. The first son she bears shall carry on the name of the dead brother so that his name will not be blotted out from Israel. So what that means is when Boaz and Ruth have their first son, they give it to Naomi. She says that in the text. They gave it to Naomi. Naomi became the nurse of this child. And this child actually carries on the line of Elimelech. And so this idea of, of, of inheritance that the Redeemer doesn't want to squander or give up or, or divide is because in this situation, you're actually going to give away part of your property. And that's what Boaz does without hesitation, right? Sure, let's do it. What I notice about Boaz is that uh, in regards to Levitical marriage laws, he's outside the line, right? But then with, in regards to uh, giving away food from his land, he's also outside the line in both directions. And what does that require? That requires a knowledge of, of the heart of the Lord, right? Not just an obedient following of the law, right? So cool to see that play out in the Old Testament. And so uh, Ruth's child becomes Naomi's. I've heard um, several people who I highly respect uh, say recently that um, in order for them to gain uh, favor or the ability to influence other people, that they needed to gain wealth. I thought about that for a while now. This has been a minute since the first person said that to me. And that's what's playing out in this story, right? You have one redeemer who is trying to find rest and security in the inheritance that he will provide and leave on for his family. And then you have Boaz who is not as focused on those things, this inheritance that he's going to leave. He's somehow seeing beyond that. And so it made me think about my own inheritance. Like, what do I get? when my parents leave, not like in a selfish way. Like I've actually thought about this on the lawn, like for a while. Uh, in my family, there are like horrific stories on both sides of people inheriting things and then relationships just shattering, right? You, you probably have a story of that as well, right? Uh, <clears throat> what's interesting about my inheritance though is, is two generations ago, my great-great-grandfather right after the Great Depression, um, began collecting land, buying up land in South Carolina. And they were farmers. 
And so my dad grew up farming. And uh, over the years, uh, that inheritance has trickled down to my family. And so if you're driving up 385 in South Carolina on your way to Greenville, you pass exit 23, you'll notice that it says McCarter Road. It's my family. And there's a sizable piece of property that's on McCarter Road ready for me to take whenever I want. Like, all I got to do is call my dad and be like, hey, I'm coming home. Build a house on Carter Road. I'll make your dream come true of living down the road from you guys and having this house. And a couple, actually, a couple years ago, Maranatha, when I were visiting, my dad pulls out this gator, drives us around this property, and Maranatha's eyes are lit up. You know, she's like, the sun is everywhere. And I'm picturing herself, you know, getting a tan in the backyard and, I'm, I'm envisioning my children running around and peeing wherever they wanted because that's how I grew up, you know? Uh, and they, that's not acceptable in town, you know, even though I have one child that does it regularly. Uh, and then, so, so I look at my own inheritance. That's like pretty much guaranteed, right? Like, that's what I'm getting. Uh, and then I, I look at uh, Maranatha's inheritance, and I have no idea what she's getting right but it's split 13 ways so I mean it's got to be peanuts compared to what I'm getting you know I'm sorry I didn't tell you I was going to say that uh, unless you look at it through the eyes of Boaz and then it's not even comparable Which one is greater? One is so much more. So here's what scripture says about inheritance. <clears throat> Revelation 21. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. And then he said, It is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, and I will give you water to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. The one who overcomes will inherit these things. And I will be his God, and he will be my son. Those last words of verse 7 are Ruth's words from chapter 1. I won't leave you, Naomi, because your people will be my people and your God, my God. Jesus tells a parable, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. And then his joy goes out. In his joy, goes out and sells all that he has to buy that field to obtain it, right? And I wonder if, Matt, if, if Jesus is thinking of Boaz and Ruth during that parable. Matthew 16, 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth 
where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. So where's your inheritance? Where's your security? Where's your rest? Where are you seeking it? How have you obtained it? What are you leaving for your children? Sure, certainly, at some point, you can relate to maybe Naomi or Ruth, maybe even Boaz. They all respond to that differently. So I want you to think about how they would have heard Jesus' words. If you would, just for a second, we're going to go into worship uh, right after I read this. But I want you to just close your eyes and, and imagine that you're, you're Ruth hearing these words. And Jesus opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who are meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. to be true of the world that you live in, the world around you, your life, what has to be true for you, the most fundamental level to feel okay? Have any of you felt like not okay in the past year? What has to be true for me to feel at the core of who I am? true rest and security. What God is doing in my life and will do in your life if you allow him is he exposes our idols by taking away the things that we've leaned on to feel rest and security. And he says, if I take that away, what happens? And I say, I'm not okay with that. He says, I know. And that's the problem. Here you have two people, Boaz and Ruth, who both find themselves caught up in the grand narrative of God without trying to directly. 
just simply understanding his heart, walking in obedience to him, risking a lot because they found their rest and security through him. And that's the invitation to us. That you would cling to him, that you would grab a hold of him in ways that you haven't had to before. And that he and he alone would be the reason you wake up tomorrow morning and you say, I'm okay. God is good. He is with me. And I'm going to live today with him. I'm going to ask if we have any elders present or anyone who's available uh, over here. If you want to pray with someone after the service, I would invite you to, to do that. Um, do we have someone here? I know it's a little, it's January 2nd, a little slim crowd. Do, I get a thumb? do we have anyone that can be over there? I don't see any of our people. I'll tell you what, I'll go over there. If you want to pray with me, join me over on the side. I'll pray for you. Uh, otherwise, uh, God bless you. We don't have anything going on tonight. We'll launch into our Sunday night schedule next week. Thank you, Matt, for bringing the word. Have a wonderful Sunday. Oh, and we don't officially until 1230.